Hey, yo, what's good? What's good? What's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the role podcast presented by DJ City. Big shout out to DJ City. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. I got my man DJ Never here. Yo, yo, what's up? I've got DJ D Miles here. What's good? What's good? I've got Jamie the Great here. Yeah, what up? What up? And today we got a special, special guest all the way from uh, Atlanta, the ATL. Grammy Award winning producer, platinum hit maker for the past 30 years, 30 plus years. <laughs> y'all may know him Man, as the nah. <laughs> y'all, y'all might know him as the king of Krung. He's a hip hop legend, and I would say one of the most iconic uh, voices in music history. Not only in hip hop, uh, I would say in music history, he's got one of the most iconic voices. We got Little John in the building. What's up, John? What's good, man? What up? What up? Thank you for what taking up? the time uh, yeah. during this pandemic to sit down with us, man. Yeah, it's all good. So. Let's, I want to jump right into something because, okay. hold on a second, my phone's going off. <laughs> Somebody, let me turn this shit on vibrate. So, uh, since Suja's birthday was last week, yeah, <laughs> last year we did the Suja's birthday party <laughs> in LA. Yeah. yeah. So, you had, I don't know his name, who, who, you had another DJ on that opened that was DJing right before we got on with all the Taco Tuesday shit. What's his name? Was I think it? that was me. That was <laughs> me or Jamie. It was either me or Jamie. Oh, it was never. I think no, it was, it was never. Me. It was never. It was never. me. Okay, so look, never. Actually, yeah. Little well, John let's got off with Little John first. He oh. comes to the booth. He's like, "Yo, um, what version of Taco Tuesday you have?" <laughs> I'm like, "What version? I, I got the original. Got the rock, rock and, and he seemed kind of upset. I only had that version." And I didn't have. Wait, a are there other versions? I guess so. No, and, I and then I didn't have it queued up to the spot where he goes Taco Tuesday. <laughs> and he got mad at that also because it's just the horns. Yeah. Oh man, it was like I was kind of pissed off a little bit. <laughs> and then he got kind of upset with me again because um he asked if I had Stevie Wonder Happy Birthday. Yeah. Which I did have. But I didn't have it queued up at the spot when yeah. Stevie sings "Happy Birthday." It and should then, be queued up. Then I though. played it. First, he was like, "Yo, if you have this song, you you're the best DJ I've ever met." And luckily, I was scared at first because I didn't think I had the song. Yeah, but I did have it, and I'm like, "Yo, I got it." Boom. So you're the best. So DJ. then the DJ song started, and Crooked tapped me in the shoulder. He's like, "Yo, cue it up to." When he says happy birthday. And I didn't have my headphones at the time, so I tried to cue it up by reading the um the fire the um the waves. Yeah. And I didn't get it at the point where he says happy birthday. It was like, well, you want to get it to the that bridge right before happy. And I got it to that bridge. But it was like out of nowhere. And little John got pissed. He was like, oh, there we go. You ruined the, you ruined that. Right <laughs> and I'm like, oh. and it was embarrassing because everybody's looking at me. And I was kind of upset, but I just like, Yo, never, no, never was he. He was a little tight. <laughs> he did one of this shit with the head on. He went like. <laughs> chill, those headphones are already broken. And then they yeah. quickly was holding me back. He's like, yo, man, chill, chill. Nah, no, no. They're taking pictures and they're looking at you. Hold up. Up. Because, like, it was <laughs> videos. Wait, Here's wait. my side of the story. Like, okay, you okay. didn't know, from what I understand now, you didn't. I thought Sujit had talked to you about all the shit that we were doing. No, he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I was coming at you, like, yo, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Because I think you know. Nah, so I didn't know anything. Yo, what the Taco Tuesday? Blah, 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 blah. 
So I just wanted to get that out there so we can clear that up. It's all, no, it's, uh, it's all, it's all love, man. No, no worries, man. No, I, mean, I, mean, I was talking I was about like, it. I was kind of joking, but no, nah, no, nah, it's no. I no, totally but I mean, I went. I just want people to know I'm not a fucking asshole. Like, play It's Sujit, ladies and gentlemen. Sujit was supposed to let both everybody know what he was doing. He was yeah. supposed to let him know that we had tacos coming out. He was supposed to let him know, yo, play the Taco Tuesday song. And then, I, you know, it's his birthday, so every DJ always got fucking, you know, one of them birthday songs. This is a fucking 2 chains, or if you got an older crowd, you play the fucking uh, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder Drunk. <laughs> yeah. Because uh-huh. I was just trying to think of other shit to do while uh-huh. we were up there to make it more, you know, interesting. So... It was, I don't want to get that out the way. Nah, John, John, it's all good. No worries, man. You didn't have to even bring that up, man. <laughs> no, I wanted to. I wanted, nah, I, I wanted to talk to you about it so you understood my, my, you know, where I would come from. Like, I didn't know that you didn't know. That's why I was coming off like, yo, what's up with this? Nah, it's all good, man. Nah, John, you John, you had to bring that up, man. You had to bring that up. Yeah, you had to, John. (laughs) You have to, man. I I had had to. (laughs) Hey, yo, just to give a little backstory on this, we basically we're I mean, we're all scam artists, which is uh with Neva, DJ D Miles, Little John, me, myself, we're all in scam artist management with Suji Kundu, and he always pulls us to DJ his birthday parties, right? Right. This happened to be uh, last year's birthday party in LA in the highlight room. Yeah. 2019. And, uh, yeah. And I, I believe it was it was me and Neva and D Miles opening for you, little John, and then Jamie uh Jamie Fox just, hopped on in the middle of my set as well. But right. Suja didn't communicate with Neva or me myself on this whole Taco Tuesday. Uh he, yeah. he had a whole big presentation, right? <laughs> he had like Del Taco bring out uh, right. tacos to the whole crowd <laughs> and he had this whole thing going on and you were you were going to DJ and do the whole Taco Tuesday shit. And that was even a mess because when I, we did just play the song then they, the fucking tacos didn't even come yeah. right so <laughs> out. Su- kept saying, where are my tacos? <laughs> and you know what's so funny? Yeah, I had just downloaded that rate. song, the taco song. I just downloaded it that day. I didn't even know you was going to be there. Wow. So imagine if I didn't have this one on my laptop, it would have even been worse. I would have looked wow. dumb. Yeah, so we're gonna all give a middle finger to Suji right now. Fuck you, Suji. <laughs> <Sorry, laughs> oh, all right, that's a great way to open up the show. No, right? Get that out the way. <laughs> Yo, John, I have a question. How, where did you get the inspiration for that song? Because it was so left field. Was it like LeBron James situation at the time? Yeah, or? it was just LeBron, like, and I just saw so many people. Like LeBron had did his thing, and then so many people at that time were just like Taco Tuesday, like not LeBron's thing, but just partying for Taco Tuesday. And I had done some like Taco Tuesday parties with some people, um, and it was just like let's just do something. Like it, it was like this is a great concept, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. let's just fucking do something. So we did it. And LeBron didn't give me no love, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna eventually get it on a soundtrack or something, so it don't matter. Yeah, nothing goes to waste. I mean, it, it, was, it was definitely viral, like on on Instagram and the social media right. for a minute. And you, mm-hmm. and yeah. then I was like, this is kind of genius because every week, every Tuesday, you right. were, you were putting together some type of meme attached to the right. song and and whatnot. So. It was, I think, all of pretty much almost all of the summer to fall. 
you were you were running the Taco Tuesday, right? And pretty yeah. much yeah, we were, we were working it. I had influencers that jumped on board and were doing videos. So yeah, we, it was doing really well. And um, even radio stations was playing it every Tuesday. Some stations are still playing it. So you know, a song like that, the life you even if it didn't break, it can still come back and eventually go somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. That's, that's the times we're living in. Like I look at the story of um, uh, what's her name. Um, uh, what's the what's the big girl name? Lizzo. Lizzo. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were gonna go there. <laughs> no, I just look at Lizzo's story. Her song was like two years old, and that shit went to number one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So with the times we're living in, like if people didn't hear it, they didn't. They're still brand new. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's and speaking of songs that like brought back to life, I always think about my boo. Like that uh, song, twenty years later, came up with a dance, and all of a sudden, it was like the biggest record in the club all over again. Yeah, man, yeah, that that was crazy, like huge, and I think it was on Ellen and all kind of TV yeah. shows mm-hmm. and stuff too. And I remember they even performed the song at BT Awards that year. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. that's how crazy big it was. But it's crazy for me. Like I have so many songs that um have just a life of their own and longevity and they won't die. Like I seen some new TikTok dances now. The young the youngsters got to to snap your fingers. Wow. I'm like, yeah. damn, yeah. that one's coming back too. Like yeah. so it's it's all just crazy because I I mean it's not many artists or producers that can say they have songs that uh will play every day the club is open. They a DJ is going to play them songs, mm-hmm. you know, and they're a go-to songs. So I'm blessed. And thank you to all the DJs and you guys as well for, you know, just making those songs, those timeless classics. People don't, people don't appreciate the DJs enough. And I appreciate DJs because I'm a DJ and I started off as a DJ. And like, I used to be, I remember I'd be in the booth and the artist come in the club and he don't even come say what up. And you'd be looking like, that's kind of whack. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but this was back in the day, you know what I mean? When re- you really had to go, you know, connect with people, go shake their hands to make sure they play your shit. Mm-hmm. And some guys was arrogant and they wouldn't even come say what up to the DJ. I mean, even now, like, I think a lot of artists don't really show enough respect to the DJs like they should. They, they show respect to their DJs and their crew, but yeah. other mm-hmm. DJs, I don't think they really, you know, all the time show love to. Like, even when I'm in Vegas, I go to check out people's sets. I go say what up, and then I go back to doing my shit. You know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. just you know, just to be like, you know, what up? Yeah. So, you, I don't know. You one of the first DJs that I, I, I knew in Vegas because you would have residencies at certain nightclubs. Yeah. And they would actually they would actually ban you or they would tell you, like, you can't just go to other nightclubs and other properties and be seen there. But yeah. you were one of the first ones that just went anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> like we, well, yeah, I, I remember yeah, hearing. About, I, I remember hearing about like that kind of that restrictive that that clause yeah. that restrictive clause in your contract. And then I'd be like, "Yeah, little John stopped through," and I'm like, "For real? Like he he just don't give a fuck. Like he's just hopping around and shit." <laughs> well, they, you know the. You know, the powers that be showed me a lot of love and they let me do me. Long as I didn't get up and get on the mic and rock, right. I could go. They wouldn't trip on me going to, if I was at, you know, if I was with the wind, I could go to Dre's or I could go to, you know what I mean? Um, I could go somewhere else, you know what I mean? Wherever the other spot was. You know, I could go to I could go to Hakkasan in them days mm-hmm. or wherever if mm-hmm. I was at excess and they wouldn't really trip. Long as I wouldn't be on the mic. I'm not on pictures. I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I never did none of that. But yeah, I mean, 
that's one thing I will miss that I miss right now is just being in front of the live audiences, man. And yeah. Vegas crowds are, I don't know, you know, to all the DJs watching this, if you've never DJed in Vegas, it's like DJing in a grown-up spring break party every weekend. Mm-hmm. Because everybody comes to Vegas with the idea that they're going to fucking get crazy. They're going to party. They're going to dance. They're going to get drunk. They're going to do all kinds of fucking drugs. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to wild out because it's Vegas. So I miss that. You know what I mean? We ain't even got to the talking about the virtual set shit, but that's what I miss the most. It's great to interact with people through the chat. But when you're DJing, you can't fucking read all the fucking comments. And you like, <laughs> the next day and look at this shit and be like, oh, that motherfucker was in there? Oh, they did this or that? Like, right. so it ain't yeah. like looking at the crowd. Like, you get yeah. some interaction and it feels great, but it's not the fucking same. You know what I mean? So I miss I miss Vegas in the sense of, you know, the big crowds and, and the energy, the energy of Vegas. Mm-hmm. So Vegas uh, is your favorite spot to DJ at? Or was Vegas and maybe like any spring break Vegas and spring break anywhere because them <laughs> motherfuckers don't give a fuck either they ready to <laughs> so, and it's crazy because this year I only did like I did Vegas the first week of spring break I did Vegas and I did the Bahamas and then Corona hit and it was over yeah crazy that because I spring break is normally my busiest month of the entire year I'm literally three, four, five gigs a week. You know what I mean? So it's crazy that, you know, all of that shit shut down right at the beginning of, you know, right right at the beginning of Corona. I mean, spring break, Corona hit, and it's right. a wrap. No spring yeah. break. When you approach your live stream sets, have you noticed that you're playing, like, more hip-hop? Are people expecting a different side of you than, like, you know, than when you do a spring break crowd where it's a lot of turn-up EDM and trap, right? kind of mixed yeah so what, what i did like so when i guess when d nice first started his shit people and i would like go in the chat and be like oh this is dope or you know some, some emojis and shit people be like yo when you doing your <laughs> shit when you doing your shit and i'm like no nah, i ain't time for me to do my shit yet so i waited about a month a little longer mm-hmm. than a month and i just kind of sat back and i just watched all these djs doing their thing and i was like it ain't nobody okay i was like Everybody's playing oldies like D Nice. Mm-hmm. Are they playing fucking slow jams? Mm-hmm. Are they playing New York hip hop? I was like, ain't nobody playing no South shit? What the fuck? Nobody is representing from a Southern DJ perspective, and Southern hip hop is running fucking rap music. Mm-hmm. How the fuck is nobody DJing this shit? I get it. Some DJs is probably like, I play that shit every week, or I play this every weekend. I ain't trying to do that, but I'm from Atlanta. So that's our shit that I want to hear Atlanta shit. So I was like, let me do my set from an Atlanta DJ perspective and play mostly Southern hip hop and Southern hip hop classics. So I go into my sets doing pretty much, I didn't play, I probably played 10% of what I played in my regular sets because my sets when I was uh, before Rona was like open format. So it'd be you know, Atlanta hood, a little bit of Atlanta shit. Yeah. Mostly open format, some pop, some rock, some house. But I, I've only done like one Vegas style set this whole Corona. Right. And that was yeah. um, something I did with MCM. But all of my sets have been, you know, more just the rap shit. And and even though the sets like that have been 
all of these sets people are more receptive to than the other shit. Even though I was doing the other shit mm-hmm. in the club, they're more receptive to it now, I guess because nobody else is really doing that too, you know. So that's how that's what I do with my live sets. Is it crazy to see new artists like Sweetie like resampling, reusing all of like all of your tracks? Like I mean, that's unexpected, <laughs> right? Like, literally, the past... Is it two singles in a row, right? Yeah. About two, yeah. The two biggest ones. Her two biggest yeah. joints, right? My Type and Tap In. And, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I Tap In, you must have been involved with that one, right? Kind of? Or... No. No. Really? They, it's crazy, because they cleared the sample. When they was clearing the sample, they sent it to me as with some demo vocals on it. Yeah. And I'm like, this shit is trash. Cause it was, it was, a, it was, you know. Wait, which one? I don't you, which one? Out there like that, somebody else was doing the raps. And which some one? Of the rap, Wait, part what, of the rap. Which which song is this? Is this tap in tap or is, in. this is tap, tap in. in? So you heard like, ref, like you heard reference vocals, pretty much. Yeah, I heard reference vocals. Oh, I'm wow. like, this is garbage. But I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna hate on it. Fuck it. Clear the sample and here we go again. Another one. You know, my yeah. type went to number one. I don't know where we at with uh, Tap In. I think it's top 10. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah it's I mean, She just released the remix as well. Right. I just, I was just like, for me, when people start, for any artist, when people start sampling you, that means like, shit, like, I've been around for a while. I've been around <laughs> long enough <laughs> for a motherfucker to sample me. That's, yeah. you've been in the game a while if your shit has peaked, gone away. <laughs> And someone said, I'm going to sample that. Your song's yeah. never Freaky gone Man. away, though. Those two songs never gone away. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Freak right. Leak well, and Blow the Whistle still in rotation at the club every night. Blow the Whistle definitely Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. still a big song. Three West Coast go-to records. Definitely. So, I would say it might be the number one go-to record for West Coast. Maybe the number one. Of all time. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And to be honest with y'all, when we did that record, so we did the beat. I, I was in the studio with E40 when we I did this beat. So the same week I did Tell Me When to Go, I did Blow the Whistle in Atlanta in Stank on Your Studios, which is Outcast Studios. So I was going through sounds and I found that bass sound. I was like, man, that sounds like Freaky Tales. I'm gonna make something with that. Now, mind you, I don't know why I decided to go up tempo with it maybe because i was doing all these 40 beats and everything we were doing was up tempo slaps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i decided to just make a beat with that and so i did a beat with it and i was like oh this is crazy so short ended up coming to the studio that week and i was like yo i got something for you got something for you Played wow. the beat. he was like that let me get that so i gave it to him and um he, he took it back to his studio and laid the vocals and when he finished it i was like yeah this is it this is it Cause it was just baseline and drum. I was like, yeah, this is all we need. Boom, boom, boom. And he was like, no, man, we need some music on there. We need some keyboards. We need put a guitar or something in there. I was like, no. So me and him fighting <laughs> about this goddamn song. I was like, and then I came. I was like, all right, all right. So we added some keyboards and other shit. And when we're done, done, I'm like, you know, we got. Well, when it's time for it to come out. Tell me when the go is fucking going insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are ghost riding the whip in Iowa and shit. Middle America <laughs> ghost riding the whip. So when I hear blow the whistle, I'm like, nah, this ain't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I didn't know about that one either. Yeah. I was like, eh. And here we are today. That's when it has outlasted. Tell me when to go. 
Yeah. yeah. Nigga didn't tell me yeah. when to go at the end of the day. But I didn't get it. I didn't think it was it at first, like I said, because the energy of telling me when to go and the way it was. I just thought that one's going to be bigger, yeah. like in the long run. But I was wrong. So you produce, you produce Tell Me When To Go and Blow The Whistle in the same week? In the same week. Wow. wow. And Muscle Cars. We, muscle Cars was on that album. We did mm-hmm. that yeah. one that same week, too. Wow. Damn. It's crazy because even when I'm DJing and people are like, yo, who produced that? I'm like, yo, that's John. Yeah. They're like, what? No way. I'm like, bro, John <laughs> produced Tell Me When To Go and Blow The Whistle. Like, for me, I always thought it was amazing how you captured the sound of the city, mm-hmm. of the bay. Right. And for a well, person that's not from the city to do that, that's even more impressive. You know what I mean? Well, that just goes to like, as a producer, it's better for to be in a studio with an artist because mm-hmm. their energy rubs off on you. Mm-hmm. You get the energy and that comes through the drum machine and through the keyboard and you make that. So mm-hmm. if, if I was just at home and I was just trying to do beats and send 40 to beat, I don't think we would have tell me when to go. And the same with, with Blow the Whistle. I don't think we would have those yeah. because it was just the vibe. That was the vibe that was going on in the studio and the, the energy, all of that helped me to, to you know, that I just put that shit out through the drum machine. You you mm-hmm. mentioned in the interview that tell me when to go. You made that beat in 10 minutes and then it was one of E-40's yeah. homies just... He was, I don't know if he was high on some shit. He just kept saying, Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. Yeah, shit, right? Like it was the end of the night in the session. Um, we had so funny story, er, skip to earlier backwards, earlier in the day. Yeah. So we like yeah. talking about, you know, I think I had done muscle cars that day or something. And he was like, 40 was like, Yo, we should put Keith the Sneak on this. I know, no, we were talking about something. I was like, Who's that Mexican dude? They'd be like, Tell me he was like, you talking about Keith? He ain't Mexican. <laughs> I don't know why I thought he was Mexican. I don't know. I thought his accent was Mexican. So he was like, no, that's Keith. He was like, let me call Keith and see where he at. We'd try to get him to Atlanta. He called Keith. Keith was like, man, I'm in Atlanta. We were about to head to the airport to leave. He was like, man, fuck that. We're going to take care of y'all. Come to the studio. Mm. So they end up coming to the studio. We do muscle cars. Boom, boom, boom. And it's like five in the morning and I'm getting ready to leave. And like, you know, niggas been in the studio. They've been drinking and puffing all day, all night. <laughs> and one of Keith's boys just came in the studio when I was packing up. He was like, tell me when they go. 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 I guess he might have been saying that because I was getting ready to leave. I was like, what the fuck is that? I was like, I'm about to make a beat for that. And made the beat real quick. Wow. And then 40 came in, heard the shit, all the shit, laid the beat down. He wrote the rap real quick mm. and he laid mm. the beat. And while he's in there rapping, I'm asking Keek, I'm like, yo, dude, has anybody used that? You know, y'all niggas say dumb all the time. Anybody use the dumb girls run DMC? They were like, mm-hmm. no. I was like, oh, shit. Went on the internet, found that shit, sampled it. So when 40 came out the booth, I was like, watch this shit. So he pushed play. Um, tell me when to go. 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 Dumb, 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 dumb. Them niggas like to tore the studio up. <laughs> <laughs> on the bounce. You know how they niggas is. Them niggas is going crazy. Bouncing <laughs> off the walls. And we mad. And so we finished the entire song. And then we went and ate breakfast at 
this landmark Atlanta spot called uh, the Beautiful Restaurant and just talked about what was about to happen. We wow. all knew that we were going to change the game with that song. We knew. Damn, man. So, crazy. Yeah, I was in the bed when that came out that weekend. It was insane, bro. It was it was pretty gnarly to see that happen. I mean, it was also crazy for me to go and shoot the video in the bay and to see firsthand how the sideshows start mm-hmm. jumping off and shit. And yeah. like we were shooting this one scene in the barbershop, and niggas just knew we was in the barbershop, and they so they started to call people, and they just was riding up and down the street, ghost riding, and on top of cars and just. Organically. It's crazy. And the cameraman just went outside and shot all that shit too. He was wow. like, wow. It's just like Bay Niggas is just the energy from Bay Niggas is just crazy. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so it's so dope when you can capture the culture of every city and, and, and region, right? And it's, right. it's just it, and it's just kind of like when you're shooting that video. I, I always love this one video that you had. It was uh what you gonna do. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> that video to me is the equivalent of DMX get at me dog when DMX was in the tunnel and right, he, right. And he rep- oh yeah he was in the tunnel yeah, yeah. he was in the <laughs> tunnel there was Leo Cohen there was all these New York motherfuckers in there but it captured to me that 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 kind of dangerous environment the tunnel just how raw New York nightlife was and to me that's what what you gonna do that video that's what that captured to me what I thought what I imagined what Atlanta uh, the Atlanta night scene, nightclub scene was. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and, and it's crazy because from the beginning with Lil John Eastside Boys, I understood that America eats up culture. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to see it and feel like they were there, even though they weren't there. Yeah. So yeah. we captured in all of the videos the essence of what Atlanta was. If you go to Bia Bia. Look at Bia Bia's video. We shot that in this club called The Bounce, which was the crunkest club in Atlanta at that time. Like, you couldn't go in there if you didn't know nobody. You'll get fucked up or robbed or some shit like that. <laughs> and it, it was, was like, like, a, like the tunnel. Yeah, exactly. It mm-hmm. held like a thousand people and shit. So we had to go there and capture the energy. And and the same thing, you know, so I used that formula with, with 40. Like, I was like, we got to capture the culture. Mm. Even like on the song when I'm like, where he's like, uh, go ride the whip, go ride. So it was my idea to do the chant part because originally we supposed to have uh, Turf Talk on. Turf Talk had did a verse, but I was thinking like, what if we did like I do Lil John Eastside Boys record because the third verse is always a chant. You know, it's always some kind of call and response. So I was like, what if we do the same thing, but you talking about big shit? And so he's like, cool. And so that's we captured it in the song, and then we captured all of the culture in the video. I think Tell Me When to Go video, it took like a week to shoot that because they went all around wow. the bay and shot shit all over. We wanted to make sure we captured capture every essence of bay culture and put it in that video. That's great. I, wow. I remember when What You Gonna Do came out, I was like, damn, this, is, this song is hard. And then when I saw the video and how you broke down the beginning where you just had like uh you had like uh you know the, the step, elements of the track the, the elements of the track separated and it was building up to you know obviously the main part of the video i was like oh shit i was just like yo this this song's a monster and it hit a lot of it hit a lot of the new york dj's at the time who were like just coming up 
Like I was right. probably the generation before Stretch Armstrong, Mark Ronson. We were like mm-hmm. right under them. But to, right, right. to all of us that a lot of the little John shit was hitting like we were playing all of that B.I.B.I. Um, yes. You know, uh, I don't give a fuck. We were playing that shit right. before all of those kind of mainstream DJs were hitting that right. in New York. And you, and you probably heard like, you know, Holotronics, Diplo. We were all mashing it up with different. We were putting, you know, Little John acapellas and shit over like, you know, different rock 80s beats and shit like that. Just mixing it all up. <laughs> Back then in the 2000s and stuff. So when you when you hear Sweetie sampling you and doing these songs and whatnot, do you reach out? Do you say like, yo, I got some new shit if you want to hear? Or is there... Yeah, like I ended up meeting her... Uh, when I, I met her a couple years ago. We had a show together. I think it was even before... It might have been early... It might have been early my type, like before it really took off. And so we linked and we exchanged like information and our people and shit. Um, but this year they actually and, you know, we we did the BET Awards together. So we talked about working there, but I was just on the road so fucking much. And I wasn't like I guess it's taken me like five years to really get back into production and get to a place where I feel like I got a sound and I know what I'm doing again. So I wasn't quite ready. And then it was just like, yeah, the road was just killing me. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, you know, I'm doing like 200 gigs a year. So it's, I, and for me, it's like, people don't really understand, like to put on a different hats, I have to like detach and then get myself ready and put this other hat on. So right. I can't just jump from artist to producer or a DJ to artists, you know what I mean? It's like, I have to really get my mind prepared to be in those places. So yeah, I just didn't have the time, but this year, well, the last couple of months, weeks, we've been talking and I think she cut like two songs to uh, some of my beats and I sent a couple of other ideas over and they might be fucking with those. So we'll see. Cause wow. I still got sound. It's just finding the right artist, you know what I mean? To do it. But it only makes sense for her because of all the success she's had with my beats. Right. So, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And you, you were working with uh, Mac Dre's mom like last year, right? And, uh, yes. And you released, and uh, I saw that interview on uh, Genius where you were talking about how, you know, you they, you had all of these reel-to-reels. I don't know if there was two-inch tape of Mac Dre's vocals on it and they had to like bake the reels in the oven in order to remaster it and uh, separate the tracks. And you went through like 30 plus tracks and you actually had to produce for the vocals, which was different, right? Yeah. So it is crazy because uh, we reached out and we ended up, uh, shout out to the underdog, my man, the underdog. He had a bunch of master master reel, reel to reels Mm -hmm. uh, from Dre. So we had to, find studios that could transfer the reels. And when we found a studio that could transfer them, they were like, we don't want to just put this on a machine because the tape could just disintegrate when we put it on there. We could mess the tape up. Wow. So we had to find a studio that could bake it. They had to bake it and then transfer it. And then I had to go through the songs and see what vocals that I could use and what could be a hook or boom, boom, boom. Um, so, so what's this time frame? The baking and then everything, like getting the masters. Because I don't think people realize the amount of work it took to to do oh, this. No. Right? It was work just to get the tapes in in hand. Like yeah. that took a couple months just to for them to be like, 
Mac Dre mom had a lot of respect for me and she was fucking with me from, from the jump and she was down for what I wanted to do. But it, it took time to get the tapes in our possession. It took time to find studios that could do the shit. Right. It took like two days to bake the tapes, get it transferred. Cause it's like 30, 40 songs mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. shit. So that takes time to put it up, put the reel on, transfer it, digitize it. So it's all, it's a long process. Then, you know, we have to go through the vocals. Shout out to my man, DJ Chronic, who did that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and chop it up and figure out this worked for the hook or this worked for a verse. So we, cause we had to, we ended up taking like two songs and piecing them together for the verse um, in the hook. So all of that. And then yes, w- with the beat, you can't just traditionally, you can just take the vocals and throw them on the beat. That didn't work. So it was like, we literally kind of had to try to produce the beat to the vocals. And I still didn't, wasn't really comfortable. And then I dug and I had a beat sitting around that I had did for fucking Janet Jackson uh, for a remix that she didn't use. And that one, the vocals worked the best on. So it was great to, you know, for his mom, his estate to entrust me with, with you know, some vocals and the master tapes and all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was it was fun just doing it, man. It was it was a great process and and I just feel, you know, like I said, privileged to just even be able to yeah. them for them to say, okay, go ahead and, and touch that. Cause they haven't really let nobody touch his vocals, you know what I mean? Let alone mm-hmm. some master tapes. So thanks you, to his mom under underdog. Do you remember um, what year or what, what Janet Jackson track that was that you you were working on? It was with? the made for now track. Made for now. It was like two, three years ago. Oh wow! The one that had uh, was it Shaggy on that motherfucker? Ah, okay. Made for now. It yeah. just came out like a couple couple years ago. <clears throat> the last song she came out with. And then so that that matched, but uh, you know, shout to Jay Spinoza. I spoke with Jay Spinoza, and he said that. And this is what was surprising to me. He said that you played him. Both versions, they you had two versions of that Mac Dre right. song, and it was called Ain't No Telling. Yeah, and so you had the version with the Janet Jackson beat, and then you had some other beat that he said he'd like better that was harder, that was like on some real hood shit. And yeah, then, it was very uh Bay Area ish, and he played it for me. Oh, he and played I was it like, for you? I, yeah, yeah, he played it for me in Vegas one night at a bar. He's like, Look, I thought this was a better yeah. choice of beat, and he played it for me. And I was like, I see why you say that. Jay was just throwing right. around uh, Little John's drop, yeah, with drop the drop box lyrics. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, Jay, I, I fuck with Jay, and I, I, I trust it. You know, I, I kind of wanted somebody from the Bay to give me their yeah. opinion, you know what I mean? So that's why I sent it to him and let him hear it and all that shit. But I thought. The beat, I like the other beat, but I didn't think his vocals fit really good on that beat. That's why I chose. I thought his vocals fit better on the Janet beat that we ended up using. So that's why I went with that one. Can you? Can you, we ever? Can, can we get the link to that? Yeah. Can, <laughs> can you send us I mean, the, could, the original I need to beat? Pull it up. I need to pull it up and listen to it. Yeah. Well, you can, might want to release that because it's really good. Well, send it to us because I would love to play a snippet of it on on this on this podcast just so they can hear. The differences, if you're comfortable, but if you're not, then that's no, fine. that's cool. I, yeah. I, you just gotta remind me. Shit. Okay, Susan, <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this, we need the email. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I, I worked with you on some of the merch for Mac Dre's for that for that single. Ain't no telling. Uh, yeah, um, what do you call it? Jamie's wearing the T-shirt right there, and it was amazing artwork. Uh, it was amazing artwork that you already were working on with another designer. 
and we just kind of uh, executed the the merch out there. But yeah. I remember I was watching closely on how you re- were releasing the single, um, and there was a lot of Bay Area people that were like, "Oh man, so good to hear Mac Dre's voice again." Right. And then there was this, uh, and then there was like a very small percentage, but they you could see them that were kind of like, "Man, what what does Little John have to do with the Bay? Like, why is he working with Mac Dre? That's sacrilegious." Like he shouldn't be doing all of that. And <laughs> right. it, it kind of made me think like, damn, like if I was in charge of the marketing or whatever, I would have been like, maybe we should put out a small two minute documentary or one minute documentary on how little John worked with the Bay and kind of the process that you went with Mac Dre's mom and, and, you know, trying right. to, trying to um, remaster all of his tapes and go through right. it and how much care you had for it because I felt like the product just went out there but the story behind it was so good you know what I mean like uh, right right you know yeah I mean I didn't I didn't think about that but like whenever it's funny whenever people try to say something about me and the bay and what the fuck Lil John got to do with the bay it's so many people that come to the rescue and like you yeah. realize Lil John did this 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 <laughs> this and this and yeah. it's like yeah. And that's just the younger generation that don't know. And they're also quick to talk shit without doing research. Like mm-hmm. we come from the era of, let me just not talk and let me just go look this up before I say something. Yeah. Because yeah. I seen John with short. I know John be with 40. Let me go see what really, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really care, you know what I mean? Because I knew I had his, mom, his mom's blessing and some of the crew's blessing. So, but you know, that's just hip hop too. People gonna talk shit. <laughs> a lot of motherfuckers behind their computers just talking shit. You know what I mean? So whatever, who gives a fuck? <laughs> you know? Yeah. In, in, in 2006, you were doing, I basically, you did a lot of those, a lot of those Bay Area tracks, Tell Me When To Go, Blow The Whistle, Muscle Cars, a lot of that released in 2006. Between 2000, I would say 2004 to 2006, that might might have been your busiest years ever, right? In in music. Yeah, I think uh, 2004 was yeah. Yeah, and I think I think Get Low might have been even 2002, but Get Low crazy. Yeah, because that shit was on the charts forever. That shit was yeah. on the charts for like a year or two. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, yeah, 2004 to 2006, yeah, Freak League. Right. Goodies. Salt shaker, goodies. Goodies. Yeah, salt shaker. Somebody, Mulatto just used Even. salt shaker too. Mm. And I think uh, Tiger's using salt shaker because he was playing that on his Instagram. So, mm. yeah, salt shaker. Uh, yeah, Girl. tell me when to go. Just the whole ghetto report card album. Yeah. That's another thing people don't know. That was on my label. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean, I executive produced the fucking album. You know what I mean? Damn. So, yeah. So, that. You know, um, blow the whistle. So yeah, snap your fingers. Yeah, damn, young bloods, lovers and friends. A lot of records. Girl fight, girl fight. Yeah, girl fight. Yeah, girl fight. I feel like girl fight could come back, man. I feel like girl fight was a great record, man. Yeah, somebody was saying that a couple weeks ago to me. They were like that girl fight. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. I feel be. I feel like that's about to come back. And then you you did a whole and look. That's just little John Atlanta shit that you were doing. And the stuff you did with the Yin Yang tunes is amazing. I want to go back to that with Salt Shake Your Weight. 
and everything. And I also want to ask why you put Brucey B in the Salt Shaker joint. Why was he included in that song? <laughs> Brucey B. Yeah. Brucey B on the Brucey, remix? No, Brucey Bruce. Brucey Bruce. Bruce Bruce. Yeah, the comedian. The comedian. Oh, oh, oh what? Oh, the line? Yeah. Was he in the studio? Was he? Song, uh, no, no, yeah. On Salt Shaker, he says, <laughs> no, no, no. Shake that monkey. Shake that monkey. Shake that Another monkey. great one. Another great one. All the skinny girls. Let Bruce no, no, Bruce hit it. girls get loose with it. All the skinny girls let Bruce, 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 Bruce hit it. it. So we were in the studio. I couldn't figure out no line. So I was just like, like short sets. Let Bruce Bruce hit it. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. These lines that you come up with, does, does it come naturally or do you have to work on it? Because I, I saw in the interview the uh, what do you call it? The uh, turn down for what? That shit came easy, but the build up line, which I didn't even know was the line, and I, I want to say the line real quick. <laughs> no one knew the line. I did not know. Nobody this, knew that. I didn't know this. The was hardest the, part of the this line. shit for me to do that took the longest. Nobody knows what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> can I? Can I wait? Can <laughs> I tell you? Was, wait. Can I tell you uh, what I thought you were saying? Go ahead. What I thought and what a lot of us thought was you were saying to the buildup, turn down for what, right? Was Friday night and everybody's out. Turn down for what? That's yeah. what that's what I hear. Wow. That's what I even say on the mic. I'd be like, yo, it's Friday night, everybody out. And then turn down for what? <laughs> I mean, that's that's a pretty good line, buddy. <laughs> when I was doing it, my train of thought was let me be a little more ghetto with the lyrics on this section um, because it's kind of an EDM kind of beat and let me just make it a little bit more ghetto so the hood people can relate. So I was like, fire up that lot loud. Fire up that loud. Like fire up that loud. Like yeah. the, the weed that smells, yeah. you know, loud. We call it weed loud. Wow. I never knew that was what you were saying. <laughs> wow. Fire up wow. that loud, loud, another round of shots. Another Fire round of loud, shots. Another round of shots. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think yeah. it, oh, man, it, it's so condensed. Another- when you hear it, it's so condensed. Like you can't right. fire like, it loud. Because I was like, right. what are we turning down for? Like, why are we saying turn down for what? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like, I gotta figure out how to set that up. And I took all that time and it didn't even fucking make no difference. It, it went over everybody's head. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, turned, it, around a shot. it turned into Friday but, night. Everybody's out. That's what out. <laughs> Fire up, up that loud. Another round of shots. Shot. Turn down. Wow. What's that? 12 lines? 12, <laughs> 12 words. 12 words. 12 words. Maybe. Hmm? Originally, uh, very man was, amount of money. originally, very man was supposed to be in that song, right? So... When DJ Snake sent me the track, it had a, a Red Man sample in it, and he wanted me to just say what Red Man said. So uh-huh. Red Man sample was, uh, it's the countdown, bang the underground, right? <laughs> so he sent me the song, like he was, he sent me the song, but I was on the road. I was like, I ain't in the mood for this right now. So when I finally had time, I was home. I was like, let me fuck with this DJ Snake shit. So I pulled it up, I listened to it, I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that. I was like, yo, just send me the fucking instrumental. I got an idea. So as soon as I went in, they pushed record. Mm-hmm. Turn down for what? I was like, oh, shit. This is crazy. Yeah. So I knew as soon as I said it, it was fucking crazy. And um, I got to thank the DJs again on that one, too, because between me and Sujit, we just started to give it out to all of the DJs. And mm-hmm. the DJs broke that record before we even had a deal. 
and it was so hot in the clubs and shit. I took it to Interscope and I took it to Columbia Records and Columbia ended up, you know, getting the deal done and they just took it and we had already laid the foundation because every DJ was playing it every weekend. Right. And they just knocked the fucking shit out of the park. You know what I mean? Yeah. The first time you, yeah. the, the first time I heard that record was at Suja's birthday at Lavo in New York City. And wow. You, and you DJed and it was all, a whole room full of DJs and industry people, which is like a horrible room in New York, right? It's like the worst yeah, room to yeah. journey for. DJ, <laughs> we hate DJ for DJs. Jesus. <laughs> I remember, so like, uh, you you put that record on, you were like, yo, this is my new shit. And you know, all the industry, New York people were like, all right, here we go. And then the, the record dropped and it was building up and it was turned out for what? And I remember we were like, oh shit, this dude, this motherfucker got something over here. It was a big record, yep. yeah. I, I, I remember, remember playing it in Vegas. Just like people didn't even know it, but they would go crazy. You yeah. know, when I when it first started, and that's like Vegas is one of the places the record broke from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People don't realize Vegas is a great place to break records because people come from everywhere to party there. So if you got something that makes people react, they're gonna go home and remember that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And take it, yeah. like yo, check this out. You know what I mean? So. And you credit yeah. that record as being probably what your second largest record up to next to Usher, yeah? I would definitely say yeah, and turn out turn out for what is uh, will be at a billion uh, YouTube views by the end of the year. Wow, yeah, nine hundred and like seventy. Oh, no, nine hundred and eighty-four. I just checked last night. Eighty-four <laughs> now. Yeah, so you're close. Like Sixty in like January. Wow. So yeah, by the end of the year, I'll be at a billion. That'll be my first billion view record on ever um so yeah i think it's probably just as big as yeah wow that's crazy close to. yeah you know, 10 years after too yeah wow. mm-hmm. exactly 10 years after yeah turned out for what number one number one edm record of the year by billboard so to get basically i don't have number ones in like i don't even know how many categories three different three different decades of number ones yeah well yeah I don't think I had a number one in the 90s. Okay. But I had, I dropped hits in each decade, but mm-hmm. it's, cra- it's just crazy to me, man, because I just go in and I just try to make good music. You know what I mean? And the results, the, these records, just being able to just have these long, long lifespans is it's crazy because, like, turned out for what the Saints. That record was in so many um, commercials and yeah. movies, yeah, movies. movies and Michelle Obama talking about turn up for what. It just, it was a, <laughs> when you get some, a song that becomes pop culture dialogue, you really done something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Wow, man. Did you, was it gradual you moving into the EDM world or, you know? So what happened was late tw- 2000s, I was fried. Cause I had been doing so many albums and I had my own label and it's always the pressure on me to get the albums done mm-hmm. and not just to get it done, but to come with the fucking singles. So all of that shit and being on the road, I was fried. So after mm-hmm. I put out Crump Rock, I was like, I can't even produce no more. Like I need a break. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to give credit to DJ Spider because I went, I was in New Orleans and he was DJing, Reggie Bush's party. This was the first game in the Superdome after Katrina. Yeah. So Reggie Bush invited a bunch of us out to come to the game. 
And then he had an after party that night and Spider was DJing. And I was just like, man, whoever this guy is, is killing it, man. So I had somebody get his number for him for me. And then the next day I was leaving and this, this white kid came up to me in the airport. He was like, hey, it's me. I'm the DJ. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you the DJ? And so uh, we connected and he kind of got me back into the groove of DJing and shit. And we started to do a bunch of parties together. And I started to do a bunch of shit in Vegas here and there. Start, I, I started my residencies in Vegas in 2010. I think I had my first residence. Mm-hmm. Was it Vanity? Um, it was probably Vanity. Yeah, it was the Hard Rock. All of this hard shit. Rock, the hard yeah. Rock. Yeah. All of this, you know. So, and then I started to, like, get connected with, um, I think Pitbull is initially how I started to go in the EDM world because we had the... Uh, Dun, dun, dun. Which one is that? The anthem. The anthem. The anthem. Oh yeah, the anthem. Yeah. Anthem. Yeah. Anthem. anthem. yeah. Through the anthem, I think I met LMFAO on the video set of I think it was the anthem or Crazy. It was one of them records. Mm-hmm. So the anthem and Crazy both were in the EDM world. Then I met LMFAO. We ended up doing shots, and then I met Chucky, and we worked together. So all of that was like started to slowly bring me into the EDM world. And when I got with Aoki and we did Turbulence, right. boom, yeah. that was it, you know? Yeah. And then I just started fucking with everybody, like, just like, send me a beat. Because this shit was so easy. All I got to do is say fucking eight words and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy because I remember when Shots came out, I think it was 2008. And that was the first time for a lot of us DJs that we heard a hip hop voice over an up-tempo type mm-hmm. record. Right. And it was so seamless and shots was such a massive record. We were like, damn, John got something, man. Like yeah. he's he's back in a whole another way with this shit. And it's crazy with that one because they sent me, I think Deluxe and uh the LMFAO guys were in the studio. And I think Deluxe was the one that was like, we should get John on this. And they sent it to me. I was in the studio in New York. I just so happened to be in the studio, I think. Or maybe they got me in the studio. I don't remember. But when I got it, I was like, this shit is crazy. I laid that shit in like five minutes, five, wow. probably 10 minutes. I wrote the whole, my all my shit and laid all my parts. Mm. And the other crazy thing about it, before I wrote it, I went on like Twitter and asked everybody, what are your favorite shots? And all of the feedback is what I put in the record. The wow. top one, what I put in the record. Wow. And so that was pretty yeah. cool too to like, the fans, I don't even think people really know that they're the reason that those shots are in there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it's all, and, and, it, and it goes back to your third verse of being a chance again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kamikaze. Uh, yeah. Kamikaze. Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. easy for people to rap along to the chants in the club. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, even with, the, like, on the pit bull, get nasty, get freaky, you sexy. You know what I mean? Like, all that shit yeah. is just easier to fucking sing along to than just a rap per se, you know, so. Right. Was that always a part of Atlanta party scenes, those chants, or was it kind of a little bit from, like, the whole D.C., you know, uh, go, No, go it's vibe? just us getting crunk. When we get crunk, we chant shit, you know what I mean? So, like, my first record as an artist, we did, we recorded in 1995. Mm-hmm. And me and the Eastside Boys and Playa Pancho were I play a poncho with an artist on social dev base all stars and the East side boys lived in Decatur near him. So I was hanging out with poncho because I was his A&R East side boys are his homies. So we're all in the club one night and we start chanting who you with 
Who you with? Who you with? Get crunk. Who you with? And the whole club started saying it. So I look at one of the East Side boys. And I'm like, man, we got to make a record with that shit. That shit's crazy. Mm. So I, I hit this dude I knew that had a record label. And he hooked up the studio and shit. And me and my boy Paul Lewis did the beat. And we went in and laid it. And that was my first hit record. The first song I ever recorded as an artist was like number one in Atlanta, like on the countdowns and all that shit. Um, And it dropped in like 96, but we recorded in 95. So it's it's crazy. Like that's unknown for any artist to like your first song is a hit record. Like who the fuck can say that? The Mm -hmm. first song you ever record is a hit. (laughs) Yeah. So... I I remember yeah. hearing your first singles like uh like BI and and um I don't give a fuck and we were like what is this like no one's even rapping just, he's just chanting right. through the whole shit and it reminded us of like Gogo like DJ Cool or anything like that right and I always wondered where it came from it's like in you know and it obviously came from the Atlanta party scene right yeah just us on the mic or just people on the mic or like it's funny because some of the chants that are on the songs. If you think about it, it's a imagine if you're in a hood club and it's a bunch of group of guys in the corner, like 15 guys, and they just start going, hey, 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 when they just turned up for, for something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's exactly what those chants are and what they right. supposed to make you do is that type of shit. So that's where it kind of comes from. Just niggas just turn the fuck up in the club shit. Do you think that's important to have that DJ background? Like, is that really vital? Because, like, I mean, some of the best producers, right? Like uh, Jermaine Dupri, Dr. Dre, they all started as DJs. You, yourself. How vital is that for you to, in making the music, you know? One million percent important because mm-hmm. you you make the records and structure the records so a DJ wants to play your shit every goddamn time he DJs because it's easy, like, it's an easy record. Like, I can put this on, and I know it's going to build the crowd up to this point and make them go crazy. Then I can drop the next record. You know, you just want to... And then as a DJ, you want to make records that your peers are like, that shit's crazy. You know what I mean? That other DJs like, too. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's every aspect of the way I do it, from the intro to the chant parts to drops of music, is DJ the DJ in me, mm-hmm. you know, producing the record? Uh, does a BPM does a BPM matter a lot to you? Because you usually stay in like in a few pockets that you know it can live pretty strong with other records of yours. Yeah, I, I I used to produce a lot, looking at what the hot records were on the radio and being like, okay, that's at ninety five. We need to stay about ninety five, so we are in the mix with all these records. And I don't know if anybody really think about that, but if your record, the tempo is off, they can't, it's hard for a nigga to drop the shit. Mm-hmm. You know, if you yeah. got, if everything is 100 BPM right now and you you trying to do 60 BPM, your shit ain't going to get played. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I definitely think about the tempos a lot. And now, now that you're DJ, you DJed for like, I don't know, you've been in the club scene now DJing for what? Like 10, 10 years or so? I've Same been, plus. I started DJing in 1990. 90, 91. 91. Mm-hmm. And then you focused on produ- production and, and, and rapping and, I start, and, art and being an artist. I started DJing about 93 when I started working for Jermaine. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I kind of gave up the club. And then I picked back up DJing like 2008. 2008. So like almost 12. So basically 12 years, 
you you revisited your DJ career. Now looking right. back on it, do you would you rather perform as a DJ or as an artist on stage? I wouldn't change anything. I like I like everything is different. You know, yeah, people yeah, ask yeah. me that a lot. Like, you like DJing more? Or do you like being on stage more? It's like it just depends. Like each one is different. Like I think the DJ sets give a unique um, experience because it's not just. You get up there, you do your shit, and you're gone. I'm up there two hours taking you on a musical journey, and we're drinking, I'm spraying champagne, I'm doing all this, I'm doing that. It's a, it's different than, you know what I mean, a show where you just got to know every record, mm-hmm. that my, every song that I'm performing. You don't have to because I'm playing all of this. If I'm DJing, I'm just playing all of this shit. You're going to know something. I'm going to bring back a memory here or whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? It's just two different things, and I love both. I love both of them. Hey John, I was curious. Um, did you get any slack for doing a lot of EDM? Because at one point you was just doing all EDM and you had stopped doing hip hop. Well, the thing about hip hop is one of the only genres where when you get over thirty, you like they act like you're seventy. So hip hop <laughs> wasn't even fucking yeah. with me anyway. You know what I mean? So EDM, they don't give a fuck how old you are. As long as you make a fucking dope record, they're gonna jam to it. They don't give a shit. So hip hop people were like. Uh, John doing that EDM shit, but they weren't fucking with me anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Um, just like Turn Down For What didn't get hip-hop play. Hip-hop people got on Turn Down For What after it was already peaked because it was getting, it was in every every uh, sporting event. Yeah. Everywhere you went, you heard the song, mm-hmm. so you had to eventually kind of be like, alright, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Even if you ain't listening to it on your, 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 yourself, but you knew it, you know what I mean? But yeah, hip hop didn't fuck with Turn Down For What. Like it wasn't on, I can't say it was on urban radio stations. It was on crossover stations, but yeah. I don't, you know, some urban radio stations played the remix, but they weren't fucking with it. So yeah, I didn't really give a shit because hip hop motherfuckers weren't fucking with me anyway because I was old to them, you know, so. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you were still, you were still <laughs> dropping mu- hip hop music at that time. It just wasn't, you were getting more attention with your EDM collabs. Than you yeah, with the crossover type shit, like yeah. out of your mind, mm-hmm. didn't go hip hop at all. But that shit was huge for me, you know, on crossover and just in the clubs. You know, what I mean, yeah, that was a massive I, club record for us, man. Yeah. That was yeah, like it might not have been like top five, but that shit in the club still get gets people hyped. And one no. thing that I did to break out of your mind, I cut a version where like, hold on, hold on, stop the music. I thought this was motherfucking New York. Genius. Yeah. I thought this was yeah. I don't know if a lot of people remember that. Genius. That yeah, is genius. I, I still play that. Yeah. yeah a lot of us use that for our intros. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So I I did I figured out that if I did that, every DJ gonna play this. Because every DJ needs a break or some shit like we love breaks. We love <laughs> yeah. anything like that. It's a transition. So I was like, I'm gonna do that because I what I think what I noticed it from was Put your fucking hands up. That's got to be the most used and said <laughs> shit yeah. in EDM history. Yeah. In EDM history, I don't think nothing is more used to put your fucking hands up. And that's from me. And that was on DJ class. DJ class, I'm right. the shit. The yeah, reason yes. he put me on it. And I just wanted to hype up the drop. And so I said, put your fucking hands up. Boom, boom, boom. And then, yeah, somebody eventually sampled it and it started getting used everywhere but that is yeah. the go-to that is the go-to line for a lot of 
for drops in in, in the yeah. EDM world. Big time. Right uh, before yeah. the one hits, yeah. That's crazy. That intro. Even for the DJs that don't talk that much on the mic, they say, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the DJs that don't speak English that be at the fucking festivals, I just came from Ibiza. Everybody, put your fucking hands up. Shout out to John. I've heard. I swear, that. I, I think I got like at least eight versions of the different cities. Oh, there's, oh hold up, hold up, hold up. More. There's yeah. more. <laughs> oh, there's way more. There's, there's, yeah, I did, I did a bunch of versions and then I. I think I even went on. You did countries. You did everything. You did. <laughs> yeah, and I even went on the internet and was like, "Yo, you send me, send me your name. I'm gonna send you a drop." So I did. I went overboard to push right. that rep. You know what I mean? And it worked. You know right. what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's always people don't realize how important the DJ is. They think it's all about the artist, and the artists forget themselves that it's not all about them. If the DJ is not playing your shit. Mm-hmm then, you know, what do you have? Right. And I learned, because I remember when my, I dropped my first record. Well, this has helped me to even see more. Um, I remember taking it to the radio station in Atlanta to my man Greg Street. He's on 6 to 10 on this station called B103 Atlanta, one of the big urban stations. I remember taking him the single, and he laughed at me. He was like, man, there ain't even no music in the beat. He was like, <laughs> all y'all doing is chanting. <laughs> he laughed at me. <laughs> Made me feel like my shit was garbage. <laughs> but the number one ghetto club in Atlanta, the DJ said, I love this. I'm going to play this five times a night. And he literally played it five to ten times a night because he was a house DJ. So he DJ every day the club was open and he broke the record. Mm. So cater to the DJ, they're going to do more for you than just play it you know, and move on. They're going to, you know, support you, you know, so... That's my lesson to artists that are watching this. Just show love to the DJ, man. We we good people, motherfucker. You know, we need to <laughs> love too. Show us some love. We're going to look out, you know? Exactly. It's, mm-hmm. it's funny because that line... And um, when when you say, wait, stop the music, stop the music. I thought we was in motherfucking Vegas. I thought right. we was in motherfucking Vegas. And then you go into, you know, the song. That is so iconic in Vegas itself. Yeah, like the amount wow. of crowd yelling and every every DJ in Vegas pretty much plays that at some point in the night. Mm-hmm. But the amount of wow. yelling that people do when they're like, "I thought we was in motherfucking Vegas," is mm-hmm. insane. And it's like I would say it's one of like the staple intros for Las yeah. Vegas. It's, it's you know? funny when I'm in the club and somebody plays that, everybody just looks at me and shit. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here chilling, bro. <laughs> Do you ever that's get- up there with like the like the be faithful like the mm-hmm. iconic like break yeah right like I, the next to that I, don't, I can't think of another break that's that powerful and that's still going to be used for years to come in Vegas like that I think so yeah yeah, yeah. Do you ever get tired of kind of you you created so many signature lines and you know it's almost it can be turned into like a satire or a parody and stuff you know like the yeah the what Do you ever get tired? Of that shit, I'm sure motherfuckers just yell that shit when you yes. walk. Yes, yes. <laughs> just Are people still yelling you. that? Yeah, they got huh? to. They got to. They got to yelling. Do. Yeah, what? Man, they years? still yell that shit all the time. Like, <laughs> Damn, man. you got a seven a.m. flight out of Vegas and you worked all night and shit, and you just tired. And motherfuckers like, yeah, yeah, and they'll keep doing it, you know, until I respond. But I just fucking. I, 
Someone that ain't never really hung out with me, hang out with me, they be like, yo, you not tired of that shit? I'm like, yeah. They were like, man, I'm fucking, I hate that shit. Because <laughs> so, it's like always, no matter where we go, people is like, yeah, what? 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 <laughs> like, oh my God! Thank you, Dave Chappelle. Thank you, Dave. Shout out to Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah. you, but you was in that Pepsi commercial too. That was kind of a good look, though. Like, yeah, that's how I, I mean. That's how iconic that it is, though. That they, they like what 10, 20 years later, they're still using it in a Super Bowl Pepsi commercial, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Though. It's I mean. I, I was shocked to get a call that they wanted me in a Super Bowl commercial because that's everybody's dream. Yeah. Is to be in yeah. a fucking Super Bowl commercial. Um, and the Super Bowl was going to be in my hometown. Right. Yes, Atlanta. Last year. And you did a great show, by the way. You killed that, by the way. That was amazing. Uh, what you did. Yeah. yeah. So the, they even had billboards of me around Atlanta. So it was like, like it, it made me feel good. And I think the Falcons came out the I think the super one of the, the Super Bowl before that the Falcons came out to the Trick Daddy song Let's Go so they came out to my voice and just like yeah. all of that type of shit is just like wow mm-hmm. you just don't expect it and you just sit back and they're like damn man like this is crazy you know mm-hmm. Super Bowl commercial and introducing the Super Bowl halftime show yeah. they played the commercial in the stadium I was in the stadium and they played the commercial in the fucking stadium. I was just like, wow. Like, it's, it's just all crazy, man. It looks back at all those these accomplishments. Doing the Stanley Cup, man. You're like, no other yeah. rapper I knew ever had done the, opened up the Stanley Cup. Like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> That's a different territory. That's not urban yeah. uh, sports. That's white sports. Uh, right. So, just all of these things, man. It's just, man, I just, I'm just a hard worker and I, I treat it like I don't have shit. You know what I mean? Like I act like I haven't accomplished shit. That's why I work so hard. And I want to, I just feel like I, I still have so much more to do. That's why I'm not going to stop. You know what I mean? I'm going to keep going. Are, are you shocked at the longevity of your career? At, at Like, when, you know, I recently, like you brought up D-Nice, you know, do you think D-Nice would have ever thought he'd be, you know, he'd, he'd come out as the biggest DJ in the world after this, this pandemic and it's just no, I, he definitely didn't think nobody could <laughs> body. I mean D-Nice is the homie D-Nice is yeah. he's a great fucking dude yeah and what he was doing was awesome because you didn't really hear those records you know mm-hmm. what I mean like mm-hmm. we can't play them records out yeah. you know what yeah. I mean you know you can only play them records in certain crowds so I was in there when it wasn't nobody but like 20,000 people in there or 10, mm-hmm. five thousand people in there i think maybe like five or ten i remember it, it blew up over like he had been doing it for like three weeks and then like the fourth week or some shit like it started to go crazy but i was in there early yeah and it was just cool to just hear music that i used to play or i used to listen to and mm-hmm. it was like and then it was like all the cool people were in there mm-hmm. it wasn't trendy and shit so it was just like fun and then yeah once michelle obama and motherfuckers came in there it was yeah. like it just was out, you know, he was out of this stratosphere and shit. So I'm so happy for him. You know what I mean? He, I saw he just bought him a new house. Yeah. So yeah. I saw that. <laughs> he, he getting money in during coronavirus time. You know what I mean? So I'm happy for him. He, he deserves all that shit. Though, Wait, but isn't it crazy to see the longevity of his career from DJing for BDP to his, his solo rap career to... 
DJing in nightclubs and corporate events and then to see where he is now. And do you look at your career and kind of like, wow, like it's crazy that I'm still staying relevant. And it's just, it's really just people reacting to your music, you know, new generations reacting to your music and then, you know, putting stuff out like Saweetie and, and the Pepsi commercials. And does that, does that, does that kind of give you, I don't know, like, how does that make you feel? Like, does it make you feel like anything can happen at any time? Like, you know? Yeah, you definitely feel that because like the Pepsi commercial and a lot of the commercials and stuff just came out of nowhere. It's like, yo, we want you to do this. What? what? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then just thinking back, you know, like I said, the first record I recorded as an artist was 1995. And then before that, you know, I started producing early 90, like 93, 94. 93, 94, um, Cableton Tour was mm-hmm. early, like 94, 95, I can't remember. So to, to I, I was thinking about it a couple months ago, just like I've had hit records in the last three decades, right. which is crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. And I definitely think the longevity, like I'm so blessed to have this because there's so many artists that come and go so quickly. Um and I'm so appreciative for everyone for supporting me. And I just, you know, like I said, I just got to, I, I like to just work hard, you know, and I just want to keep working hard and keep giving people good, good music and until I can't do it no more. So that's what I'm going to do. And that leads into the new Yin Yang song. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so that, I got inspired by, it's funny, that City Girls had dropped their new album and they had a song called Pussy Talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. The talk. pussy talk song came out, and a DJ had put like the Kaya sample at the beginning of it, mm-hmm. and it was kind of offbeat the way they did it. And I like chopped it and looped a section of it. And I was like, "Damn, this could be dope as a record." Like I might want to just take this and make a new song because I haven't really, I haven't really been producing the whole quarantine. Oh, you haven't? So, you haven't at all? No, I've just been mainly doing the live sets. So I went in the studio and made some shit, and I was like, I'm going to send this to Yin Yang. So I sent it to Yin Yang, and around the time I made that beat, I just made a couple other little ideas. Sent it to Yin Yang to get on it for for me and them to do a song, and they sent me vocals back, and I'm like, it don't fit on this beat. So I put it on another beat that we had done the same time, me and my son, because me and my son, my son's home, he just graduated from um, NYU. He graduated from Tester School, uh, Clive Davis's program. So he knows engineering and producing and all of that shit. That's what he nice. went to school for. Trust so he's yeah. engineering here and me and him co-producing shit. So we take, me and my son listen to it and we both kind of look at each other at the same time like that don't fit on that beat but let's put it on this other beat. So we put it on the other beat. It worked and that's how this Yin Yang song came up about. Out of nowhere, pretty much out of nowhere and now, like, you know, we, we're getting ready to, like, really go hard with it. Initially, I'm just getting out to the DJs. Um, so all DJs, if you need the song, Drops at gmail.com. Just hit me up, tell me you need it. I'll send it to you. But, yeah, that's just started some new shit. And then right around the same time, Sweetie's people called me to do some shit. So I just, like, the last month and a half, two months, i just been diving into production. And i literally been doing... Me and my son been trying to do like three to five beats a week. So we just wow. stacking up. 
Yeah, that's and, that's uh, amazing that you you're working with your son now, Young Slade, right? Is that is he DJ yeah, as well? Young Slade. By, by the way, I DJ with him last year. I like real cool kids. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. I, that was New Year's week. Um, before that. Oh, okay. It might have been New Year's week. It might have been that week. Yeah, but yeah, definitely nice, good DJ as well, man. <laughs> yeah, he he started DJing at twelve, and wow. he wanted he he wanted to be a technical like scratcher and all of that. So he's really a turntable purist, mm-hmm. and he learned. He went to Scratch Academy, and he also like uh, had some other DJ mentors that taught him all the tech shit. Because yeah. early on, he was really into the tricks and the techniques and all that. But what I tried to instill in him early on is that if you learn how to mix, you can always have a job. You yeah. know what I mean? Turn the tricks and all of that is amazing. You, you, you can probably work with that, but you can get a job at any fucking club DJing if you know how to mix. You know how to put, you know, good mixes together and yeah. have a good set. So that's what I taught him. So he knows all of that shit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and him been producing together and we got this new yin yang twerking in the mirror and I think it's another one of them ones. Wow, nice. Nice, yeah. man, nice. What is the relationship with you and Yin Yang twins? Is is, is you guys created some legendary magic. Yeah. In, incredible <laughs> records. Are they still uh, rapping? We- do you guys talk regularly or how does that work? Now we talk like every fucking day. <laughs> 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 but like we would run into each other. And they'd be like, yo, when we gonna do some shit, I don't got I don't know. I would always be like, it's gotta be when the time is right. It's just we've gotta be when the time is right. And it's crazy that I called them, the time is right, and look, we turned the record around in like a couple of days. It's mm. crazy how quickly it happened. And I was just talking to Susie, I was like, yo, I got this record, you wanna do it with me? Fuck yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> that's how I just all of this happened, like out of nowhere, quickly and we, we just did another song that's pretty dope. Wow. I'm kind of taking time with it. I don't want to rush, like, like let's do a whole album. Like, we're just mm-hmm. going to take it song by song. They sent me some vocals for some other shit, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take this. And I made a hook out of that, and then they went back and did verses, and that's, now we got two songs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to finish that one up and get that one ready. So, yeah. So Yin Yang Twins, Twerking in the Mirror, Lil John and Sweetie. You know, I got a couple we're working on, and Hopefully, many more, many yeah. more. What, what's uh, what is it with Sujit's ear? Do you trust Sujit's ear? Uh, Sujit said he don't know. He just go work it. I don't think Sujit knows. So I don't think. Do you think Sujit really knows what a hit record is? I don't he think don't, he makes it. I seem don't know, like, man. He makes it <laughs> like he knows. He makes it seem like he has an ear. Like I knew this was, you know. And I'm just like, yo, you're a sales dude, so you you right. You're gonna sell. That's what he is. If I put mayonnaise, seller. yeah. If I put if I make a song about mayonnaise and and I tell you like sell this shit, you're gonna sell the shit and you're gonna make it right. You know what I mean? But I always right, wonder. Right. I always wonder from the artists if they were just like, yo, he's an amazing sales dude, or that motherfucker got an ear. Like motherfuckers trust his ear and shit. No, nah, I think he just he, you're right. He's just a salesman. Yeah. I don't think he knows. I think he's just like. I think he'd think all that shit kind of sound the same. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, John, I got a question. So, like, I feel like other regions, other parts of the country, they've had their runs. The West Coast has always had a dope run. East Coast, New Orleans, down south. But Atlanta has been consistent for so long now and mm-hmm. just cranked out bangers. Like, what is it about Atlanta, man? Like, 
where it is just, it just keeps coming. It doesn't stop. And it's just evolutionary. And it's just uh, one after another. It started with you and then graduated to Outcast, And then, you know, now you look at Migos and 21, like 21 Savage. Sure. What is it about well, Atlanta, baby. man? Yeah. Atlanta, I think Atlanta wins because we're not trying to be like nobody else. And we just make music for Atlanta. Like, yeah. that's why Atlanta too, like if you win in the versus battle for Monica and, um, Brandy. Brandy. Mm-hmm. You looked at the comments, Atlanta niggas was in there like, ATL, 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 ATL. Yeah. Like, we are a community of motherfuckers that, like, we support each other and we love our, our shit. Mm-hmm. So we make music for our, us and it just happens to blow up out of Atlanta and everybody likes our swag, our culture. Like, yeah. the culture of Atlanta. So I think that's what it is. We just do... We ain't trying to please nobody. We just do it for us. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is there a reason why you haven't worked with more Atlanta rappers or hip hop artists? The newer, the newer ones. I haven't really been on the production like that. Right. But, you know, now that I'm back on these beats like crazy, me and Young Slade doing them together. Me and um, DJ Chronic doing them together. Uh, hopefully, you know, it takes time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when you ain't been on the scene like that in a while. It takes time for people to start checking for you again. Even though, you know, I have had all these massive records. The newer generation, they grew up on them, but they still liking this shit over here. You know what I mean? So it's it, it t- it's going to take time for me to get more records out there on different artists and have more shit back on the radio for people to, to come fuck with my shit again as far as production. But for me, it's cool. Like, that just makes me work hard and make it, and at the same time, I'm perfecting my shit even more. You know, making the sound, I'm, I'm dialing in the sound even more mm-hmm. in the meantime until I get that one that goes on the radio. Do you do you have an apprehension, like kind of ent- re-entering the hip hop scene again a little bit with like putting out the music with Mac Dre, or you're like totally comfortable with the shit? No, I mean to me, it's like you gonna win some, you gonna lose some. It's like, if you look at Chris Brown, Chris Brown puts out a shit ton of music Mm -hmm. because he's not scared to fail. Mm -hmm. When you start worrying about, is it going to work or is it not going to work, then you're going to get caught up in not releasing shit and missing opportunities. Like, I could have, when Punk Rock didn't do shit, that could have been the end of me. But I kept going, and what did I drop after that? Fucking turn out for what? Mm -hmm. So you just keep going and you keep putting out shit, so yeah, I don't care. I'm going to keep putting it out. If I want to conquer something, I'm going to conquer it. Nothing, I don't let anything get the best of me. I get the best of it eventually. So I'm going to just keep putting music out till some works. You know what I mean? Yeah. So everybody gets their time, but you just got to be patient and right. work for that shit. Basically, always have your cards on the table. Just keep playing, right? Yeah. Manning up. You're going to win. Exactly. You're going to win some jackpots and you're going to lose some, right? Exactly. You mentioned every that. every major producer and artist has had records that didn't do shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> For real. You mentioned uh, working with Chronic, and you kind of started working with him on "Bend Over," right? Yeah. On that track, how did y'all link up? And and you guys have pretty much stuck together since "Bend Over," and like been kind of bouncing ideas and co-producing with each other. He's, yeah. So he, he's from Australia, happened? right? He's from Australia. He's from Australia. He had did something and I liked it. And then I had hit him up like, yo, can you do a twerk beat? And he was like, yeah. 
but he had never done a twerk beat before. <laughs> so Bend Over was actually his first ever twerk beat that he had done. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we just worked really good together. Like we vibe really well. And like, you know how you can talk, can work and you don't have to tell somebody something. They kind of get it without you even telling them. Are they already going in that direction? That's how we kind of work together. So yeah, we, we done a lot of shit. We got some shit that was on some soundtracks. No, no like singles yet, but like still, you know, it'll come, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we work really good together and that's just how it started from. Yeah. It started from being over. Uh, what do you call it? Do you guys have any other questions about like pr- production or or the DJing stuff? Because I kind of had a question. Go ahead. I had a question about uh, coming from Atlanta and production. Did you have like a chip on your shoulder because Atlanta was not accepted as a West Coast or East Coast hip hop region? That you guys had to kind of break that wall and come through. Was there ever a chip on your shoulder while you were producing those records from like '02 to '06 that you were just just feeding them? No, nah, for me, it's always like, if you put a wall in front of me, I'm going to figure a way to go through it, around it, or over it. Mm-hmm. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Or under it. I'm a, I'm a, I, as an artist, I always had to grind to get somewhere. Like, even how Crook was talking about New York DJs was playing all of the crunk records, but I had to figure out a way to break through in New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, getting Big Cap on Be A Beer was very strategic because Cap was next to Flex at all right, time. Right. Yeah. And Cap also was a voice of all those eighty-eight records, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, at the time. And Cap was in the tunnel and Cap was DJing a lot of fucking parties. So getting Cap on the record was very strategic and he got me through the New York door. I got them to be like, okay, who this dude? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then once I got through, like in New York started banging that is around the time of Dipset. So Dipset yeah. was the, the height fucking, that was the crunk shit from New York. Then you had my crunk shit, so they be playing out shit back to back, and we had the clubs on Smash. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just didn't never let, I'm always gonna figure out a way to get it done. You know what I mean? That's just my mentality. Like, even early on, I remember I called radio stations to get my song added. Or I would be at Mix Show Power Summit, myself passing out the vinyl, going to, you know, I get in people's faces. I'll get in the car and drive. Like, I'm like, okay, we need to take over. The record's hot in Atlanta. We need to take over Birmingham. We would just go drive to Birmingham for the weekend and go party in all the hot clubs and make sure all the DJs got the records and boom, 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 get drunk with them. We got Birmingham. Like, so that's just how I've always been. I've always been like, I got to get it done mentality with with the music so i'm always have that you know what i'm saying that that uh that uh go-to like trying to get everything done and that hustle mentality is that what uh is that what helped you win celebrity apprentice pretty much (laughs) (laughs) you like my segue do you like my segue (laughs) perfect segue that was cool I think being a producer helped me to fig- to be able to last mm-hmm. that long because when you're a producer, you have a certain amount of money in a budget. You have a certain time span. You have to juggle all these egos and attitudes right. and all these different people. And if you can do that and you can get to the end and put something out and have a hit record, then that's the same thing with The Apprentice. You got... You, if you're the project manager or you got to be a team player or you got to do the job 
You got to learn. The number one thing is dealing with people and telling them certain things to get them to do things without you offending them or pissing them off and shit. Mm-hmm. That was the hard part and getting people on your side. So that's all being a producer. And I guess that's also being a uh, people person. And like you said, it's also the hustle. Like we got to get it done. I got to stay longer. I got to work harder. Or these people ain't doing what they supposed to do. I'm going to step up and get it done. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to use this person since they slacking. Boom, boom, boom. So all of that helped me to be able to, to do that shit and and doing that show doing it twice it showed me that i can literally do anything yeah. in the world that i want to do because that shit is hard because mm-hmm. you have to think about it every two days somebody's going home every day you don't know what your next thing is that you're doing you know what i mean and mm-hmm. you don't know when you got to be the project manager so like all right two days boom boom two days somebody's fired boom the next day, somebody else has to step up and take over. And, you know, like it's that shit is hard. And then the longer you go, the less people it is to do the job. <laughs> you can't delegate. So you got to be more in control. Like that shit is hard, bro. Mm-hmm. And like shooting for 30 straight days or some shit. And mm-hmm. man, that shit was, that was hard. But yeah, it showed me that I could do anything I wanted to. Was there any drama on the set? Like, were you, were you, was there any crazy? I mean, I want to know, like, a lot of motherfuckers take that shit seriously, and you look like you took it seriously, but it also looked really effortless on your part a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you made it look effortless on a show. but they Well, were- I was just focused. I right. knew what I had to do. I wasn't playing around, you know, and I I wasn't trying to go home. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the number one thing is nobody wanted to go home first. That's the worst person to be. <laughs> you off the first day. You know what I mean? So, but I just, I was just focused, man. I just wasn't, and I, you know, I wouldn't say it was easy, but I, you just gotta be smart. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard if you just use your fucking brain. You know what I'm saying? Like, think. (laughs) Fast forwarding to like 2020, where we are right now, right? Did you, did you talk with Donald Trump at all? Did you speak with him? Did you see any examples of him? Just the, the craziness of this motherfucker to what we, we see today. Did you see any of that I, shit? Uh, people ask me that a lot. Yeah. And I I had no idea. I've never seen the goddess in the White House right now. I, I don't even, I never saw that side of him. He always showed me a lot of respect. His kids, he always showed me a lot of respect. They seem really cool. But yeah, it's, it's insane what's going on, what we're going through in America, how... America is now looked at as like, ooh, America, ooh. right? Like, yeah, fuck those guys. They're fucked up over there. <laughs> right. Uh, I, you know, it's crazy. I, like I said, I didn't see any of this. What? what I didn't see this what Donald Trump did you see? What did you experience? What you know? What what version of Donald Trump did you? I mean, he was cool to me. He looked out for me. Um, he was a very good businessman on the show. Like if you weren't on your shit yeah. and if you got to the boardroom and you didn't, you don't, you, if you didn't fight, you got sent home. It was, it was interesting to get in, to, to have to be brought back into that boardroom. <laughs> Bro, you were scared. You would be in the waiting room like this. Like, like get out ready for battle. Like that's wow. a war. And I had to go in there with Amarosa, nigga. Like, Amarosa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you, nigga, I saw Amarosa 
she would walk around with a notepad and take notes on everybody. <laughs> because she was going to use that shit in the boardroom on your ass later. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, so I seen all of that and I, you know, I just had to be always prepared. But yeah, I, yeah this guy, 45, I don't know what the fuck, bro. And I don't know, man. Uh, it's yeah. just crazy to me. Yeah, that that's being on that show and winning uh, the Celebrity Apprentice. That well, guy, I didn't win. I came in like fourth, four. Oh, you did? Time. I thought you won. Shit. Oh, I came in third, fourth one time, and third uh, other time. Wait, who won? Who won that one? Who won that shit? One time, John Rich, who was my my like my ally, my friend. Yeah. Um, on the show, he was my friend off the show, and then uh, Trace Atkins won the other season. When when you were on that show, a lot of eyes were on you. Obviously, did your bookings go up? Did your DJ shit just go up and everything just kind of catapult uh, up? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it made me more appealing to the corporate yeah. eye because you know that's NBC on a Sunday. And excuse me, um, the thing about me being on the show is they told me I was a fan favorite, so like mm-hmm. I was one of the characters that people loved. And I mean, I saw that when I would be in the airport like our whole families would come up to me grandmother son daughter kids grandkids mm-hmm. they all would know me you know not just black white all kind of races different people coming up to me saying they saw me on the show telling me how well i was doing or how well i did and they they loved me and all that so i think definitely it probably opened me up to more corporate corporate areas and stuff mm-hmm. as do with this whole pandemic going on, right? I what is the what is the I don't know the temperature of your gigs and the future of your gigs and and doing live shows. Like, are you talking to festivals and bookers? What are they saying? 2021, 2021? Is everyone? Just I mean, I've that? gotten calls to do some stuff. Like, I recently got a call to do some stuff in Atlanta. But me personally, I'm. They don't. To me, I don't trust everything that they're telling us. Like, we don't really know for sure how this shit is transmitted, how you get this, how you get that, what it really does to your body. Mm-hmm. Because first it was a virus, but now they're saying it affects your lungs and it's, and you lose your sense of smell and taste and all of this other shit. So it's going to be five to ten years before we really know what COVID-19 is. So I'm not chancing that right now, trying to go out and just make some money when I could, you know, come up with some other stuff to do. Like I dive more into the production, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm doing my live shows. My live gigs are every Saturday night, 10 PM, lilljohnlive.com building that up. But yeah, the, the temperature that I've gotten is like next year because if you look at other countries, they going back in and out of lockdown and right. they were more strict than we were. Our shit is fucked up. Yeah. We ain't mm-hmm. been, shit's all <laughs> yeah. So we definitely not going to have no real, we're going to be doing drive-in concerts for another year, motherfucker shit. <laughs> <laughs> that shit is not about to change, you know, so. But I'm cool. I love, I love the live streaming. I love it. I love, it's crazy that I would have never thought I would have to, I would be, DJing online, streaming my set from my house, you know, mm-hmm. but I had to dive in and learn this whole new technology mm-hmm. of how to do this. And I feel like my sets are a step above everybody else's out there because there's a lot of production in the 
what we do, planning out the sets, making sure the mixes are even tight. Like I'm not, a lot of DJs I watch, it's kind of boring to me because they kind of be all over the fucking place. Like mm-hmm. how you go from Young Thug to goddamn Conway Twitty or some shit. Like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't rock with you, bro. You know what I mean? And and a lot of DJs are boring when you're just standing there just looking at them. You know, I even see DJs still, even though they're streaming with the laptop in front of them. DJ, number one thing y'all niggas need to learn, put the fucking laptop on the side. (laughs) Even when you're in the club, put the laptop on the side. When hip hop started, the DJ was in the forefront. He was the main motherfucker. And y'all niggas is hiding behind laptop. <laughs> Put your laptop on the goddamn side. Anyway, I do that. I, I, love, I got the laptop in front of me. I feel like bad because yeah, I did yeah, it. Yeah. I'm guilty. <laughs> man, people want to see y'all, man. Move that laptop to the side, bro. Like, I, I don't like looking at a DJ and the laptop is in front of their face. You know what yeah. I mean? Like to me, that's yeah. like I want. If I'm looking at you, I want to see you. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So that's that. That's just my opinion. Move the fucking laptop, cricket. <laughs> God damn. But yeah. So my like my live sets, man. It's a lot of production. Like we we take time to go get viral shit off the internet, and it's a, it's just a lot of production into into the sets, and and I take pride in the, like the music I'm playing. I I take time to really curate the sets of the music too. So mm-hmm. I really like, I'm, I'm liking that. You know, I don't have no problem with just doing that for now. You yeah. know what I mean? But what? I miss the club, but until we get this shit figured out, I'm going to be right here at the crib, bro. Yeah. Where are you filming that? Is that like in your, in your, like uh in your man cave bar? Like in, in the, like, where is yeah, that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a bar in my basement and it's, it's like, it could be in a restaurant. It's that big. Wow. It's a nice size bar. It's like 15 foot, 20 foot long bar, some shit like that. Oh, yeah. Nice. So yeah, it's just set up there. Uh, my shit looks like a fucking TV studio down there now. It's like, I mean, yeah, I'm looking like at I hooked up my I'm looking at your background right now, right? I'm looking at your background right now. It looks like, you know. A museum. (laughs) Well, this is is my office. This is my office. This is your office. That shit look uh, huge, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shit look better than my mama house. (laughs) I'm going to give you all a a tip, too, for you. You know, if you're streaming a lot, hook a monitor up to your laptop instead of um, looking at your Serato on your computer. Mm. And uh, because that's what I do. I have a big monitor. So I don't even have to, and I just use the knobs on the mi- on the the mixer to to switch the songs. I don't even use the fucking computer at all. Mm-hmm. I just uh-huh. use the the mixer, and I have the big monitor, so I don't have to be looking all off to the side at the computer and shit. Yeah. It's huge right there. So I have that, and then I have a monitor for the chat and shit too. That's huge too, so I can see all of that shit right there. I'm not looking at it on my phone or an iPad. Mm. I had an iPad initially, but I needed it bigger because you know the chat be going so fast and shit sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm doing. So that's a little that's a that's a little streaming tip for you DJs out there. Hook your computer up to a monitor instead of you know what I mean. Yeah. So you don't have to look at the Serato in the computer. <laughs> I had a question about um, maybe like who you've worked with. Do you have like a favorite artist or that you connect with musically? Um, and also, is there someone that you haven't worked with that you want to work with? Uh, 
I wouldn't mind doing something with Kanye. Mm. I did a song with Jay-Z, but it never came out. Really? I was working with Rick Rubin at the time, and Rick Rubin called me in to do some ad-libs on a Jay-Z song, and it had Chris Rock on it. So it's Chris Rock, me, and Jay-Z, produced by Rick Rubin. It was supposed to be <laughs> wow. a Jay-Z Greatest Hits album, but he ended up um, not putting that album. I don't think he put it out. So uh, that's in the vault somewhere. I'm sure that's going to be released one day. Hopefully. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. You know. Did you? I work with a lot of people, but yeah, like Jay and Kanye. And I want to do some shit with Lil Baby. I fuck with yeah. Lil Baby Heavy. That'd be dope. Uh, I want to do some more shit with 2 Chains, some newer shit with 2 Chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just more Atlanta niggas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. What about I, the Migos? Migos too. I would definitely fuck do with Migos. And do a full song, just ad libs. <laughs> you and Quavo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, remember they did a song. They shouted me out. Uh, Lil John Energy, and they was on that Lil John Energy for a while. They was tweeting that, mm-hmm. and I mean posting shit with that on their Instagram and shit. So mm-hmm. shout out to the Migos for showing love. Were Were you in the studio when uh, you when uh, the Mob D recorded Real Gangsters? Were you yeah, with we were me, them, Alchemist. We were all in the studio wow. together. I did that beat from scratch in New York. That's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, working with Mob D, working with Nas was like up here because mm. of the way Southern artists were treated by New York. You know what <laughs> I mean? New York motherfuckers like weren't respecting Southern hip hop. And then for me to go go on to you know, eventually do songs with some of the most respected hip hop motherfuckers of all time. Right. It's crazy. So thank you, um, Mob Deep and Nas for fucking with me. You know, I did Nas and the Brave Hearts quick to back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that in Atlanta too. I think I did that one in the studio too. So I used to like to more than send people beats. I like to just cook up with them in the spot. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So uh, what do you call it? Yeah. Do you guys have any other questions that you want you want to Go through with a uh, little John. Man, I think Any, we covered co- a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. I think we're good yeah. for the most part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to take no, up yeah. too much more of your time, uh, John, and stuff. But it's been great having you on. I've been wanting you on uh, this podcast for a minute, and uh, I think for this round of questions, uh, you definitely answered a bunch of of shit that that uh, we've been wanting to ask you for years. For years you got enough for two episodes of this motherfucker. Yeah, we <laughs> could, man. Right? <laughs> definitely could. I, w- I want to yeah, actually, no, uh, I- I, when you first started DJing, I want to. I remember when you first started DJing, and I opened for you at the Hard Rock uh, Rehab, oh, wow. and you were DJing, and I remember seeing you there, and I really respected you. I was like, damn, I was a really big fan at the time, and I think um, I accidentally played Salt Shaker. <laughs> 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 and then, and then I think it was your security or your road manager. He came up to me. He tapped. He tapped me on the shoulder, and he looked. And he and I looked at him. And he he pointed at you, and you were sitting behind me, and you went like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit! I played Salt Shaker, and I was like, oh, this is so old. I didn't think he would he would keep you know he would he would want to play this, but I was like, fuck it. And then I was so scared to play anything that was that was new. <laughs> So I did like an 80s R&B, 90s R&B set. And <laughs> and then the crowd was like into it. I was playing Poison. I was playing Next. I was playing all this old shit. Because I was like, I'm not even going to touch 
any hip hop. I'm just right. gonna I'm just gonna let him go off. You know what I mean? Right, right. And then I think you were getting on, and I had just taken it so back that you were like getting ready, and you said to me, you were like, "Man, after you, I don't even know what to play." <laughs> Because <laughs> you were like, wow. this moment you were like, yo, you were just playing all this old shit and it's been working. So you're like, I don't know what to do. And then when you went on, I remember you had the, um, you had an amazing intro and you just killed it. And it was always a questionable thing. I was like, Little John's going to DJ? Like, let's see what he does. And I thought, right. and that really solidified to me. I was like, because everyone would text me. I guess BBM was really big back then. They're like, yo, how was Little John? How was Little John? I'm like, yo, that motherfucker tore it down. So it was a, uh, it was good to see you do that shit, and uh, and I always felt bad that I played Salt Shaker before you got on. <laughs> no, so it's funny, like a lot of DJs think that I'm just like this rap nigga trying to get into DJing. They don't realize that, like, I had a, I solidified myself as Lil John in Atlanta from DJing mm-hmm. the hottest clubs in Atlanta. So I know what the fuck I'm doing, and I'm not like a poser per se. Um, so it's always funny to me to like, you know, see DJs, give me a little side eye or hear that, you know, whatever the fuck that they, they don't think I'm really a DJ. Mm-hmm. And then I go on and fuck their ass up and they like, shit, this motherfucker's a DJ. <laughs> like, I don't be scratching and shit, but I got mixes, motherfucker, and I know how to drop shit. You know, I, my hand eye coordination was t- always terrible. I could scratch a little bit. And then I just gave up on that shit. I was like, I'm not doing that shit no more. I'm just mixing and just cue points and shit. So, yeah. And then it's funny also when people, I was notorious for cursing niggas out when they burnt me on, mm-hmm. on, um, and said, <laughs> like, you know how a nigga, get, you know, you about to, you the headliner and you about to get on a nigga play like, 10 records real quick that's all of the hottest shit and you be like my nigga really? <laughs> so I used to come to Mike and verbally destroy a nigga and then drop and then just murder the party so oh wow yeah I, I, and I, sometimes I know it's by accident I, mm-hmm. so I be like I give niggas a pass you know what I mean because you know some some shit that is, is in your set that you play every week Yeah, and then I'm there and my voice is on this breakbeat record or this intro and you forget so I, I get it you yeah. know what I mean that just makes me feel good too that I'm all over the place where like a nigga gotta be like oh shit but it's also good sometimes like what you did like you went in a different direction so sometimes if someone burns me a little bit it makes me go in a different direction that I wasn't gonna go in mm-hmm. and then like I do something differently than I would have normally done it makes me work a little harder but at the end it's a better set you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that too sometimes. So, yeah. I, I remember a story of you and being in New York, DJing at One Oak, and you actually someone opened for you, and they played all the all the new shit and the hot shit. And I heard you got on the mic, and you were like, "Yo, what the fuck was that? Like, you just played every <laughs> hot shit, and you just kind of went yeah. on the mic, and you cur- and you kind of, I don't know if you cursed them out, but you definitely put them on blast. You were like, "Yo, like." What the fuck kind of shit is that? And then you just went on and you did your thing, you know what I mean? But right. I'm, it's good that I, it's just funny that you brought it up because I was like, Little John, would he really do that? And I'm like, I, I guess he, I guess he really would. <laughs> yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> yeah, DJs need to learn the etiquette. Like, it's so much music that you can play. Why you gotta play all the hot shit before a headliner? That's where I come from. That's disrespectful. The school that I grew up in as a DJ, that's mm-hmm. disrespectful to go on and burn the records. Like. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I remember I, ch- I checked the DJ for that one time. It was a girl DJ. I'm not going to say her name because y'all know who she is. And she was like, <laughs> you can just play it again. And I was like, we don't do that. You don't play records twice. That's why I come in the club an hour before my set so I can make sure I don't play the same shit that you just played. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of this is stuff that should be taught to DJs, but they don't, no one has told them this shit. Like yeah. this is, this is the type of shit, you know what I mean? Y'all talk about this great. This type of shit is what <laughs> niggas need to learn. Like you don't burn a nigga and then you don't play all the hot shit and find some other shit to play. I heard openers kill it with older shit harder than the newest shit plenty mm-hmm. of night. Yeah. Like they just be rocking and then I get on and I'm doing my shit and I can't find the vibe because we all know Vegas is a, a 90s fucking music club kind of crowd. 90s and early 2000s is all them niggas want to hear. That's what always works with Vegas goddamn crowd. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So sometimes that shit just be winning and you yeah. can't get a, get, a, get a line in or they don't know all of the new shit. You know what I mean? You can only play a chorus and get out and get mm-hmm. into something older that they do know. So, but this is shit that y'all DJs out there that are watching and listening to this, y'all got to take notes on because that shit is some somebody might punch your ass in the face one day for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you don't burn people, bro. That's that's DJ a DJ commandment. Thou shalt not play. All the new shit, bitch ass nigga. Before I that's the that's and the I had motherfuckers to play my shit before I got on. And I'm like, who taught you how to do that? You just play get low. You play right. get low, nigga. I'm in here. <laughs> you play yeah. You don't think I'm gonna play yeah and get low? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> salt shaker? Jesus, right. come on, Kirk. Yeah, salt shaker, brother. Some DJs think that that's cool for them to do that because I'm coming on. And I'm like, no, I. you need to save, they need to, they want to see me when that song is on. You have to save that energy. Mm-hmm. That energy needs to be saved for when I get up to do that. Yeah. So, we just gotta we just gotta school the youngins, man, because they learning in their bedrooms and not learning around other people. Definitely, that's why they don't know this shit. I, well, I, I apologize. That was uh, a few. That was like ten years ago, and I apologize, John. <laughs> it's all good. It wasn't done out of malice, though. I was like, I, I, I knew I fucked up. I was like, oh shit, I fucked up. But I'm also right. glad that you and uh, never squash your beef. Too, too. Yeah, a lot of beef squashing today. <laughs> oh, oh, I love how he addressed it first. It was the yeah, first yeah, thing yeah. I got out the way. That, yeah. I'm, 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 oh, I'm, because I just wanted him to know that, like, I wasn't trying to go crazy. You know, well, like, I, I, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. He ain't forget. He ain't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad. I'm actually just shocked you listened to the episode and you heard him. Do that because we were thinking like Lil John ain't gonna listen to this shit. Like <laughs> Lil John would never listen to this. <laughs> I mean, I watch because I mean it's good to hear DJs talk about what's going on, what's the future of our industry, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's good to hear different perspectives of, of everything mm-hmm. that that you know pertains to us. Yeah. You know. So for sure. Thank you guys for doing this. No, no, thank you thank for you. coming through, thank man. You thank you for coming on the podcast, respect. man. 
really appreciate it, John. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna push that uh, Yin Yang single and any new music that you have. Just you know, send it over to us, and we'll definitely show love, man, for real. Definitely, hell yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jamie, you want to take us out? Yeah. If you want to watch this video alongside all our brand new videos we drop every Friday, make sure you subscribe to youtube.com slash the road podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell to be the first one to drop that video <laughs> to get that video when it drops. And uh, you can check us every Sunday on twitch.tv slash road podcast every Sunday at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And Little John's on littlejohn.com, right? Streaming. LilJohnLive.com and that'll take you to Facebook, Twitch, Periscope. Uh, where is Facebook, Twitch, Periscope? There's one more I'm missing. I think Facebook. you're... you're oh, and YouTube! YouTube. YouTube. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> nice. Or you can just watch all my shit on just LilJohnLive.com. So Dope. I got a stream nice. live. Thank you, John. Thank you again for coming through, man. man we appreciate yeah, you, man. brother. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. man. Shout out to the legend, man. And uh, we're out. Peace. Peace.